0: Snuff Production. Hello, Katrina Blau is here with you, joined by Antoinette Latouf. And Antoinette, you're bringing us a story today about something I am super curious about: lab-grown diamonds. What they are and why they're becoming so popular. Hi, Katrina. Yeah, I'm so super interested in this
1: as well, partially because. I lost my uh, wedding band and had to replace it and started, <gasps> yes, terrible, no. terrible, and started researching diamonds. And then I came across the fact that lab-grown diamonds are not only becoming more popular, there was actually a recent survey that showed around 70% of millennials are happy to consider them for their engagement
2: ring. Even a high street jeweller with his, her little eyepiece would really struggle to tell the difference and you really can't.
1: Yeah, so in today's briefing, we look at lab-grown diamonds and the fact that they're chemically, physically and optically identical to mined diamonds and we'll be exploring like how are they made and are they really more sustainable? and better for the environment than traditional diamonds.
0: I think they're better for people's wallets, <laughs> and that certainly got a lot of people interested. So, lab-grown diamonds, that's coming up in the second half of the podcast. Before that, here are today's headlines. It is Wednesday, December 7. All four of the big banks
1: have now passed on the latest interest rate hike, The National Retail Association says yesterday's eighth consecutive rise makes the Reserve Bank the Grinch who stole Christmas.
0: Yeah, it's warning the 25 basis point increase will put even more financial pressure on Australians this December.
2: Grocery prices,
3: electricity prices, fuel and energy prices have all increased over the last
1: couple of months. And now with an eighth interest rate hike, consumers are really feeling the pinch in the lead up to Christmas. So that's the retail associations, Dan Foster. So 71% of consumers have already changed their spending behaviours because of rising costs. And, and Katrina, I mean, I guess that's the idea. It's a, in part a bit mm. to, to curb inflation. And I know just in my family in our secret Santa this year, we've dropped how much everybody is spending on our Christmas gifts because we know that households are feeling the pinch and interest rates have risen. So I understand it's kind of framed as the Grinch who stole Christmas, but it's also arguably having the desired impact. And it adds around $90 a month to repayments on a half a million dollar mortgage. And maybe that doesn't sound too terrible on its own, but in the context of all of the eight rises this year, households
0: with that mortgage are paying around
1: $1,000 extra in mortgage repayments a month.
0: Yeah, and there's this question of when is this going to end? I mean, the Treasurer has already suggested we could be looking at even more rate rises when the RBA gets back together in February. So, you know, with this tool, I guess, it's the only tool they have Mm. to curb inflation, the Reserve Bank. Their targets to get us to reduce inflation and and a range of 2 to 3% is seen to be as the goal. The latest figures from October show that we're still a fair way away from that. They had us at about 7% and Christmas spending could make that figure go up to about 8%. Mm. So I guess we'll have to see whether people are doing what you're doing and certainly what people in my family are doing, Antoinette, and reducing their Christmas spending. With this tool, though, you know, there's still a lot of people in the top end of the market that have a lot of money squirrelled away that they Mm. saved during COVID and it affects everyone equally. So the people at the bottom end of the market are feeling it the most. The
1: gas price standoff between New South Wales and Queensland and the Commonwealth will come to a head this Friday. That's when the PM will host a virtual national cabinet meeting from ISO at Kirribilli House, hoping to convince Queensland Premier Anastasia Palaszczuk and New South Wales Premier Dominic Perrottet to introduce a coal price cap.
0: So with energy prices soaring, the PM hopes the states implement the caps to avoid Canberra having to act...
3: State premiers all know uh, that that there is real pressure on manufacturing industry, that there's pressure on households, and they know that they have an interest in ensuring uh, that some of that pressure is alleviated.
1: The Prime Minister on the ABC yesterday. And Katrina, this can be a little bit confusing for people to get their head around. So there's furious agreement between all Australian governments about the fact that we need to curb these runaway energy prices for consumers and businesses, but the debate about who should the bill is what's leading to this squabble. So in short, the federal government says it can't because there are potential legal consequences if it were to cap the prices instead of states. But then that would be a big revenue hit for states, which don't want to have to take Mm -hmm. all of that on. Meanwhile, the coal producers argue that if There's a cap on gas and coal prices. It could cast a long shadow over Australia's appeal as a a safe place for foreign companies to invest. Uh, But this will probably impact smaller producers more because the big few largely already send most of their coal overseas. And so, irrespective of what the course of action
0: is, households won't feel any relief for at least six months. Indonesia has approved laws that ban sex outside of marriage and they also ban couples from living together before marriage. So the new laws, which come into effect in three years, apply to locals and
1: tourists visiting holiday hotspots like Bali.
2: We asked all the attendees again whether we agree to pass the criminal codes and ratify it as law. Agreed.
0: At Sufmi Dasko Ahmad, the Deputy Speaker of the Indonesian House of Reps the moment the laws pass. So unmarried couples caught having sex can be jailed for up to a year. Uh, living together before marriage will also see you jailed for six months. And these laws also include punishments for insulting the president or even expressing views that are mm. deemed to be counter to the national ideology. So I guess, Antoinette, this all does sound very worrying for tourists. That's where my mind went uh, straight away because I'm not married to my partner and we're planning a trip to Bali next year. Mm. But the way the laws practically work shouldn't be too much of a concern. They're um, complaint-based. So that means that a husband or wife of a married person or the parents or children of an unmarried person, they're the only ones that are able to report it to police. However, If you are a foreigner travelling to Bali and you have sex with a local who is married or unmarried and one of their relatives uh, reports you to police, that's when potentially you could get in trouble.
1: It's a bit of a minefield, um, especially given how much parts of the country, like Bali, um, rely on tourists and they're still recovering from the pandemic and want to attract tourists. I think the other concern is how they'll be enforced and against whom. So, I know you flag that it's kind of complaint based by a relative. Um, but when there are laws like this, sometimes they're enforced not necessarily because of the act of alleged promiscuity, but for other reasons because you're a political dissident, yeah. because you're outspoken. But yeah, it remains to be seen how exactly um, it will impact both locals and foreigners.
0: And first, it was iceberg lettuce and now watermelon is going to be the bougie menu item this summer with some supermarkets charging $34 for a whole melon. So floods, inflation and increasing
1: farming costs are behind the price hike. I think it's going to be an expensive Christmas.
0: That's fresh produce wholesaler Michael Piccolo talking to Seven there. Vegemite on toast for Christmas, <laughs> I think. Uh, but here is some good news. Santa has been allocated the call sign Slay Rider One after putting in plans with Air Services Australia for Operation Present Drop on Christmas Eve. I love these stories. That's so cute. He'll
1: fly from the North Pole across to New Zealand before delivering to nearly 10 million homes across Australia. We have some of the best navigators in the world working with Santa to make sure that there's going to be no issues in terms of wet weather. And of course, we know that the reindeer often
2: travel faster when the conditions are wet.
1: That's the ASA's Chief Communications Officer, Dominique Lamb. And, and you can follow Santa's progress on Christmas Eve if you're if you're interested via... Santa.airservicesaustralia.com.
0: All right, Antoinette, let's find out whether we can get a diamond that looks just like the real thing but is a little bit cheaper, more eco friendly, and grown in a lab. Diamonds are forever.
1: It's a $6 billion global industry and it's expected to double by 2025. I'm talking about diamonds, but not just any kind of bling. These diamonds are grown in a lab rather than mined from the earth. It's marketed as cheaper, better for the environment, and they often actually look sparklier and clearer than the real thing. And you can now also get these diamonds from regular shopping centre jewellery stores. So will they soon become more popular than natural diamonds? Jodie Bradby is a professor at the Research School of Physics and Engineering at the Australian National University, where she leads a group on high-pressure physics. So, Jodie, what exactly are lab-grown diamonds? And I want to know, are rats involved, which is always what I think when I think of lab (laughs) experiments?
2: I can assure you there are no rats involved in growing diamonds. So a lab-grown diamond is identical to a natural diamond or a mine diamond. It's chemically identical. It looks exactly the same, even to a trained eye, um, except they are grown in a laboratory by scientists, technicians.
1: And I want to know how, like, a, how they're made, um, but also was their discovery, I guess, or cultivation with the purpose to make bling cheaper or for other kind of scientific reasons?
2: So how they're grown, so it's a little bit mimicking how natural diamonds are grown in the earth. So we learnt in school that natural diamonds are grown deep in the middle of the earth at really high temperatures and really high pressures, so they're sort of squeezed together to form a stone. And then to get to the surface, they hitch a ride on a volcano and they have to come to the surface quite quickly or they'll not be diamonds anymore. So they're accelerated up to the surface and that's where we mine them. Lab grown diamonds mimic the high pressure and high temperature process and they can do that in two different ways. One, by pretty much doing exactly the same as the Earth does, by squeezing them at really high temperatures and then releasing them quickly that's called a high pressure high temperature diamond and those diamonds have been around since really the 1950s and 60s a newer process that's come online and really ramping up over the last few years is the what's called the CVD process this is chemical vapor deposition that's grown in a much smaller environment. You don't have to go to as high temperatures because we use a plasma gas in order to grow a diamond from a tiny little seed diamond.
1: So I'm interested to know, like other than like big flashy engagement rings that you can show off on social media, like what are these Mm lab-grown diamonds used for? Because the purpose of your work isn't to put it on people's fingers.
2: No, no, indeed. So diamonds have a lot of industrial applications and people don't often consider that, but it's a multi-billion dollar industry, the diamond industry. They're used for a lot of cutting. So anytime you want to cut stone, hard stones, you'll be using a diamond embedded blade and that takes up a huge amount of diamonds. Diamonds are also finding applications in modern electronics. So they're one of the hot materials at the moment in the quantum industry. People are thinking about perhaps they could build a quantum computer out of diamonds.
1: If we're talking about sort of cut, colour, clarity and carrot, which are, you Mm -hmm. know, those four C's that we're, as consumers told to consider when we're buying jewellery. How Mm -hmm. does a lab-grown diamond compare to a
2: mined diamond? All right, let's take them in order. So in terms of cut, a lab-grown diamond can be more efficient to cut than a natural diamond. This is because um, diamonds are a crystal, So if you have a particular way of looking at the crystal, you know how you're going to cut it. And the lab-grown diamonds can kind of engineer how we grow the crystal so it's the most efficient way to cut it. So that means less of the crystal is wasted. So in terms of cut, they should be exactly the same but more efficient to cut. Mm -hmm. Um, In terms of colour... They can be as pure as a natural diamond, but only about 1% to 2% of natural diamonds are super, super pure with this so-called type 2 diamonds that don't glow. Mm -hmm. But most lab-grown diamonds are type 2, so they don't glow under black light. Sometimes you'll have a black light in in a jewelry shop and you can put your diamond under there to see what it does. You don't want it to glow because you want it to capture all the sunlight and reflect it back, not turn it into light you can't see.
1: Which one's better of the two when it comes to colour? The lab-grown diamonds. Yeah, right. It's
2: not quite colour because colour can refer to other things as well and you can get a range of colours like pink and blue diamonds that are lab-grown and natural. The natural pink diamonds are pretty rare Mm. but they can make lab-grown coloured diamonds as easily as Yeah, they can just dial them up, I think. Um, In terms of clarity and weight, really that just around the individual stones and how carefully the process has gone. So you could definitely get equivalent stones made in the laboratory and it will be considerably cheaper.
1: And would you be able to tell the difference if I presented two engagement rings or, you know, diamond necklaces that to Mm -hmm. me the untrained eye look pretty much the same but one is lab-grown and significantly cheaper and one is mine-grown, would you be able to tell the difference?
2: Most people would not. Even a high street jeweller with his little eyepiece would really struggle to tell the difference and you really can't. You do need a specialist laboratory that you could kind of look inside the diamond and perhaps see a remnant of the seed that's grown from the lab-based diamond, but it is extremely difficult. And to the untrained eye, they look exactly the same. They look exactly as blingy and as gorgeous as the natural diamond.
1: One of the things about lab-grown diamonds is that it's marketed as uh, more sustainable and better for the environment. Is that a sort of marketing ploy or is that backed by research and data?
2: I think at the moment some of the diamonds are definitely sustainable, the lab-grown diamonds, but some of the lab-grown diamonds, a lot of them come from India and China they're probably grown with fossil fuels and it takes around 10 to 15 days worth of power for one house, about 350 kilowatts, to grow one diamond. So I think more research is needed to sort of back up those claims as a whole for the industry.
1: That was Jodie Bradby from the Australian National University, who is a professor at the Research School of Physics and Engineering But let's take a step out of the lab and step into jewellery stalls with Ronnie Bauer from Klepner's Fine Antique Jewellery and Valuers. Ronnie's also a board member of the Jewellers Association of Australia. Thanks so much for joining us, Ronnie. Um, Where are consumers up to when it comes to their knowledge of and interest in lab-grown diamonds? There was some recent figures out of the United States which suggested that one in four engagement rings sold last year actually had lab-grown diamonds?
3: Uh, not at that level at the moment, but I, I can see the trend increasing in using lab-grown diamonds. And the reason being that they are so much cheaper than uh, the mine diamonds and they are exactly the same, the same physical and chemical properties of a, a, a diamond as a diamond.
1: So, so, let's talk about price. You say it's so much cheaper. The price of diamonds yeah. at the moment, thanks to the global economic conditions and of course the... Mm-hmm. Uh, what some people refer to as the diamond cartel, are, are more expensive mm. than usual. How does that compare to lab-grown diamonds?
3: They are far more available and also they're far more less expensive because uh, of the techniques used and that's why they're not a fraction of the price but they're about uh, 30% of the uh, mined stone, yes.
1: Do most mainstream jewelers now offer a lab-grown range? How easy are they to access?
3: Uh, they're quite easy to access. So in my store, we uh, the, the first question asks, do you want a natural stone or a lab-grown stone? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we take it from there, depending which way to go. But we, for example, my business, we specialize in antique jewelry. So mm-hmm. very little antique jewelry has lab-grown stones. But if, mm-hmm. a young, if a couple come in and say we want to buy a carrot diamond, the first question we ask do you want a natural stone or a lab-grown mm-hmm.
1: And what's the usual response? Is there an understanding of what lab grown is? And I'll just explain why, because I walked into a, like a suburban jeweller yesterday um, and I was to do a bit of homework and I asked to see the lab grown diamond range and the manager of the store was pretty surprised that I came in actually seeking it. And he told me that usually he and his staff have to introduce the concept to shoppers rather than shoppers seeking it out. Is, has that been your experience?
3: Yes, that's true. It's a bit like some of the rarer gems, and the best example of that is Alexandrite. I've never sold an Alexandrite but somebody points in and says, what is that? It's always they've walked in and said, do you have X? Mm. So I think uh, the general public still has to become more aware of what a lab-grown stone means and what its position is in the marketplace.
1: When you do introduce the concept, what's the general reaction you get? Uh, Are some people, I guess, purists and they go, no, I want the real thing, or are others swayed Mm. by things like cost or when they're told that it's more environmentally friendly?
3: Well, sustainability is its biggest argument because you're not digging up the ground to get it. At the moment, that's not quite 100% true because the amount of coal you have to burn to produce the electricity, to produce the diamond. It's a 50-50. But as technologies are changing, as coal is going out of the uh, equation, they're definitely far more sustainable than a, uh, a mine stone where you dig it out of the ground, make a mess, et cetera. However, there's a downside. Remember this. The miners, if less natural stones are sold, of course, they lose work and then they don't have any, uh, what are they going to do to feed their family, et cetera, Mm et cetera. So there's a downside on the other side too. So sustainability, uh, human factor, it's not a a linear equation in any sense of the word.
1: And do you see this as a a, a generational thing? Are you more likely to get interest and support from someone who's in their 20s and 30s as opposed to someone um, who's in their 50s and 60s?
3: Uh, it I think it's not so much a generation. is how much do you aspire to climate change and how much to environmental factors and how you're swayed by that. Mm-hmm. It's a feel-good factor. A lot of people buy the lab-grown because they think they're doing the right by the planet. So it, it can go across the board, but clearly the younger generation are far more in tune with that sort of attitude than uh, a boomer.
1: And do you see lab-grown diamonds' market share matching or exceeding mine-grown diamonds um, in the near future?
3: No, I don't. Where the lab-growns will definitely have a, a stronger market share will be in what's called the pave settings, the many little diamonds that show a lot of bling on a ring or mm. on, a, 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 on a piece of jewellery. And there's lots of them. I can see that part of the market being a, a greater market share in the, the lab-growns. But I think in the bigger pieces and in the uh, the one-off show pieces, I think still mm. the, the mined diamond will have its place.
1: Ronnie Bauer, Jewelers Association of Australia there. I don't know about you, but I found that pretty fascinating. The fact that you can't even tell a lab-grown diamond from a mined one. There's often the environmental impact sold and marketed. That's what's getting younger people interested, but the jewelry's out on that one. So I think definitely more research is needed there. And between you and I, and my pretty disappointed husband, I actually lost my wedding band during a night out with friends in Melbourne recently. Terrible, terrible. I'm a terrible human, I know. And I reckon it's time for me to go and get a lab grown one. And no, this is not a sponsored post, just a guilty admission. And I'm going for the cheaper diamonds this time round.
0: All right, that is it for us today. Thanks so much for joining us on The Briefing. Tomorrow we have an update on a cold case that has united a North Queensland community, the search for justice for Toy Accordingly. Listener.